Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan, and welcome to Episode 6 of Season 2 of the Real Truth Matters podcast. In the previous five episodes, we discussed the priority of preaching and its demise. This demise is not focused on liberal churches or denominations that do not believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Instead, our focus is on churches that are the opposite, churches that vigorously defend that the Bible is divinely inspired and without error. Actually, my greatest concern is among churches that hold to the theology of the Reformers and the Puritans. Preaching is at a loss, even in these churches, because teaching has become the predominant commodity, and it's confused for preaching. Now, I'm not against teaching. It's necessary, just as preaching is necessary, to the life and health of a local congregation. But preaching has sadly been pushed to the sidelines and has become almost non-existent in so many of our churches. We began this podcast season with a sermon I preached last year at a conference that I had been invited to preach. The first two sermons were well-received, but the third and final sermon rocked the conference. If you haven't listened to it, you can hear it from Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2. What was so revealing about the sermon was the opposite and extreme reactions to it. The sermon acted like a dividing line, like a light that revealed true from false, mature from immature, life from death. And some thought that God was very present in the sermon, so much so that many actually said it was the greatest sermon they had ever heard. And yet, at the very same time, others thought God was nowhere in the sermon, and it was the worst they had ever heard. Now, what was it about the message delivered that produced such contrasting views? How can one sermon elicit such opposite responses? I know I've been kind of teasing these questions out to you since the beginning of this new podcast season. Well, today, I'm going to attempt an answer. To answer that question, I need to address the one thing that makes preaching biblical, meaning not just in content, but in the pattern and model of preaching found in the New Testament, a preaching that impacted lives. In last week's episode, we ended by stating that preaching is an impossible task. A man cannot influence the human heart to produce the change God requires by mere rhetorical skills. The spirit is dead, and only God has the power of life to quicken the sinner and teaching the word of God. Without the attendance of something that is not of this world will have no impact on saint or sinner. Preaching without this gift that comes from above cannot convey the presence of God to anyone. How can a broken man preach to broken men and make them know that they are in the presence of the Almighty, and He, the Almighty, is speaking directly to them? And the short and simple answer is, it's impossible. A dynamic must be added, and man cannot produce it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the unction of God. 
This unction of God is what's missing in most preaching, and therefore, biblical preaching is not occurring. So now, what is the unction of God? Unction means the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming on the preacher so that there's something of heaven about the sermon. There is a communication of God's power that convicts, converts, and consoles. It's the seal of God, taking the word proclaimed, using it to accomplish his purpose. This anointing of the Spirit produces a holy effect in those whom God intends, which cannot be manufactured no matter how great the preacher's personality and persuasiveness. Some call it by different names, such as the empowerment of the Spirit, the endowment of the Spirit, the endowment of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. But no matter the name, the effect of it is unmistakable. The sermon has an impact on the listener either to draw them nearer to God or to harden them further. Martin Lloyd-Jones called it a divine afflatus and described it as an effusion of power. In his book, Preaching and Preachers, Lloyd-Jones defined this heavenly empowerment in this manner, quote, unction is the Spirit falling upon the preacher in a special manner. It's an access of power. It is God-given power and enabling through the Spirit to the preacher in order that he may do this work in a manner that lifts it up beyond the efforts and endeavors of a man to a position in which the preacher is being used by the Spirit and becomes a channel through whom the Spirit works. End of quote. When I began my research for this episode, I did an internet search on the words anointing and unction. The search engine quickly filled with entries from charismatic and Pentecostal websites. I found a lot of material and information on this subject by these groups, most of what I would call misinformation. But there was a great deal of writing and articles and blogs about this topic. Yet, I could find little from solid biblical ministries. Most of the trusted, non-charismatic ministries had nothing to little to say about it unless it was something negative. There seems to be a willful ignorance by my brethren on this subject of the anointing. And perhaps this is why preaching is suffering in our circles. It wasn't always this way. It was the habit of the Reformers, the Puritans, the great preachers of the awakenings and revivals to cry unto the Lord for this divine unction. They definitely believed in this need for themselves and encouraged young ministers to seek it. We have shied away from talking about this great help in preaching, and we're still, we've stopped believing in it and our need for it all because of a fear of being identified with unbiblical practices. Well, no doubt some in the charismatic and Pentecostal circles have come to teach falsities about the holy unction of the Spirit. But that's no cause for sound men to go into error by refusing a good doctrine and rejecting a very needed experience that can turn dusty, dry homilies into fresh fire that will ignite the congregation. We praise the men of God in church history whom God gave this Holy Spirit anointing. We applaud their ministries and lament that such powerful ministries are not evident among us today. Could it be that we have refused to hear these men of unction on why the hand of God was upon them as they preached the word? Let's listen to them and heed their faith 
and teaching. Let me begin by quoting John Calvin. He said, quote, Preaching is dead and powerless if the Lord doesn't make it efficacious by His Spirit. End of quote. In a sermon series on Deuteronomy, Calvin said further, We cannot receive a single word which is published or preached to us in His name unless His majesty is there present. That's exactly what I've been trying to communicate. Preaching is a means by which God's presence is communicated. William Perkins, who's often called the father of Puritanism, wrote, quote, The demonstration of the Spirit is, when as the minister of the Word doth in time of preaching, so behave himself that all, even ignorant persons and unbelievers, may judge that it is not so much he that speaketh as the Spirit of God in him and by him. This makes the ministry lively and powerful. End of quote. The greatest Puritan theologian of all, John Owen, declared about the unction of the Holy Spirit this lengthy quote. Please listen carefully. What authority is there in a preaching ministry? It is a consequent of unction and not of office. The scribes had an outward call to teach in the church, but they had no unction, anointing that could evidence that they had the Holy Ghost, His gifts and graces. Christ had no outward call, but He had an unction. He had a full unction of the Holy Ghost in His gifts and graces for the preaching of the gospel. Hereon, there was a controversy about His authority. The scribes say unto Him, Mark eleven twenty eight. By what authority dost thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? The Holy Ghost determines the matter. Matthew seven twenty nine. He preached as one having authority, and not as the scribes. They had the authority of office, but not of unction. Christ only had that. And preaching in the demonstration of the Spirit, which men quarrel so much about is nothing less than the evidence of preaching of unction in the communication of gifts and graces unto them for the discharge of their office. For it's a vain thing for men to assume and personate authority. So much evidence as they have of unction from God in gifts and grace, so much authority they have, and no more, in preaching. And let every one then keep within his bounds. End of quote. Now, what Owens is saying is that simply fulfilling the office of a pastor doesn't give a man authority or power to preach. It must come from without him. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit. Owens continues, I think truly that no man preaches that sermon well to others, but doth not first preach it to his own heart. He who doth not feed on and digest and thrive by what he prepares for his people he may give them poison as far as he knows, for unless he finds the power of it in his own heart, he cannot have any ground of confidence that it will have power in the hearts of others. It's an easier thing to bring our heads to preach than our hearts to preach. To bring our heads to preach is nothing more than to fill our minds and memories with some notions of truth of our own or other men and speak them out to give satisfaction to ourselves and others. This is very easy. But to bring our hearts to preach, 
is to be transformed into the power of these truths or to find the power of them both before in fashioning our minds and hearts and in delivering of them that we may benefit and to be acted with zeal for God and compassion to the souls of men. A man may preach every day in the week and not have his heart engaged once. End of quote. A man accustomed to see in revival at different times over two decades was Gardner Springs. Mr. Springs was, according to the Banner of Truth publishers, quote, among the first rank of American preachers of the 19th century. In his church in New York City, Spring experienced waves of revival under his faithful preaching. Now, Gardner Springs said that this unction that we're talking about was beyond human power. Here's what he said, just a very short sentence. The constitute elements of this power are more than human, and yet they are entrusted to men. The sainted Robert Murray McShane was powerfully anointed that often men would weep even before McShane opened his mouth in the pulpit. He affirmed his belief in the need to be full of the Spirit. Listen to McShane. Speak for eternity. Above all things, cultivate your own spirit. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart is full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. Remember that God and not man must have the glory. If the veil of the world's machinery were lifted off, how much would we find is done in answer to the prayers of God's children? End of quote. Spurgeon, who needs no introduction, once said, If I have preached without the Holy Spirit, I've preached in vain. If I've gone to my prayer chamber, no matter how earnest I desired to be, I have prayed in vain unless the Spirit of God has been upon me. This anointing is the Christian's supreme need. I wonder how long we might beat our brains before we could plainly put into words what is meant by preaching with unction. Yet, he who preaches knows its presence, and he who hears soon detects its absence. Leonard Ravenhill, in his typical manner, said, I would sooner expect a frog to sit down and play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata than to expect to see some of the slick preachers of this hour preach with an anointing that would cause godly fear among the people. Unction is God's knighthood for the soldier preacher who has wrestled in prayer and gained the victory. We're tired of men in soft raiment and softer speech who use rivers of words with but a spoonful of unction. Well, again, quoting from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who stated the necessity of this empowerment. He said, in our preaching, we must have this baptism or we fail. We may preach as advocates, but not necessarily as witnesses. Have we a greater experience of the presence of God than the Old Testament saints had? If not, why not? We should have. End of quote. Now, friends, this is what is missing in so much of the pulpit ministry of our day. It is the very presence of God enlightening, quickening, and illuminating. Oh, how we need a new hour of this kind of preaching. We need the abiding presence of God in our midst. As Moses said of old, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. 
For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. It's the presence of God manifested in our midst that sets us apart. It isn't our programs, our gifted leaders, or beautiful buildings that distinguishes us. It's the holy presence of God that makes men to tremble, even causing the prophet to say, woe is me. And this is the ultimate goal of preaching, to make people to experience the God and His presence. I've come to personally believe this is the greatest distinction between good teaching and anointed preaching. This heaven-helped preaching is the chief means of making a congregation to be filled with humble awe and reverence. The wind of the Spirit, friend, must blow. That doesn't mean something that the Pentecostal means when he uses similar terminology. Oh, no. It means what the Bible says. Jesus commanded his apostles not to leave Jerusalem and start ministry without first being endued with power from above. In Luke 24, verse 49, the Lord commanded them to wait for this power. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Before Christ ascends back to the Father, he once again repeats the command to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What turned 12 cowardly students into courageous stalwarts? What turned a Simon Peter from one who denied the Savior to one who defied the Sanhedrin? What made those men who repeatedly failed the test of faith exercise great faith in the face of death? It was the endowment of power given to them by the ascended Lord. It was this baptism of the Spirit that gave them a heavenly unction. It transformed them. And surely, this is needed by us, by me, by you, and perhaps even more, since we've not seen, heard, nor walked with the Master as those twelve men had. Watch Peter as he stands up to address the gathered crowd of Pentecost. There's no anxiousness or stewing over what should be done. There's no called meeting among the disciples to discuss what should be or should not be said. There was no strategizing, planning, or advertising. Suddenly, Peter stands up and speaks with a power unknown to him before. Something burns within his heart, and out of the overflow, he preaches. Ah, this is the unction, and what has happened to make us think we don't need this? Have we advanced so much in theological education that we don't need spirit power? Is our intellectual prowess so mighty that we need no heavenly unction? Are we further advanced than those former fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots who had been with Jesus? The moment we say, that such is not for today, or that we already have all the Holy Spirit we need, is to go against two millennia of church and Christian history. And is it not proven in our experience? 
Isn't it interesting that there's been no significant awakening or great revival in the last 120 or so years, with very few exceptions, and most of those exceptions have been smaller, more local outpourings of the Spirit? But wherever the Sovereign Spirit has chosen to pour Himself out upon His people, there has always been men who believed in the need of being anointed for faithful and spiritual ministry. There is power where and when the preacher is filled with heavenly unction. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, testified of that same unction. He said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul knew what we today don't know, and that is Preaching the Word is not enough. Now, making such a statement today makes you quite unpopular among some, if not considered heretical. Oh, of course, the charismatic will applaud such a statement, but they mean something entirely different than what the Apostle Paul meant by that. And the Reform camp doesn't have such terminology or vocabulary, nor do they want to make room for it. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians that the Word of God must be accompanied by God. The Spirit must first activate it in the heart of the preacher and then secondly in the hearts of the hearers. The sharing of correct doctrine without the extraordinary work of the Spirit is insufficient to the edification of the saint or to the conversion of the sinner. I recently had a young pastor call me who's returned to seminary to further his education for ministry. He spoke about the church that he and his family is attending. His words were, Brother Michael, going to church feels like sitting in the classroom. It's very academic. The young man continued sharing that the people are really great people and the word is central and it's biblical, but something feels to be missing. When the service is dismissed, the people leave quickly and there's no lingering in the presence of God because God's presence was not manifested. Oh, I don't doubt that the life of God is in that church, but a double amputee has life also. He's just missing both of his legs. Dear friend, something is missing in our gatherings and in our meetings. But when the Spirit of God accompanies the Word, it is the seal of authority and power needed to make men know they are confronted by something greater than themselves. So once again, I want to say that this is what preaching does, and I think it's the ultimate purpose of preaching, to make men to know God experientially, to know something of the presence and the glory of God. Now, all of this is why I think my sermon had such extreme and opposite reaction. Let me explain. When I walked to the pulpit, something happened. I became very aware of the Lord's presence more than normal, and I was overcome with a great pathos and a passion for those I was to address. This burden was more than usual. It was like I was arrested by it and constrained to speak as I did. As I began, the audience could tell. This sermon was very different from the two previously preached sermons. The presence of God filled the room, and suddenly people were encountering something they were not accustomed to experiencing as they listened to a sermon. 
They were experiencing the awareness of God. His glory was evident to their hearts in a very intuitive way. For those who thought it was the greatest sermon they had heard, it was not because it was the greatest sermon or even close. No, it was because they were sensing this greater-than-usual manifestation of God. While those who thought it was the worst thing they had heard, they experienced a convicting word and an authority that they found offensive. The preached word with the unction of God became a dividing line. How sad it is that many of God's people have scarcely experienced this manifestation of the presence of God in preaching, that when they do experience it, they act and feel as if it's unusual. May God revive the ministers of our churches with a glory that's divine. May He grant to us the life of the Spirit in a biblical way that is in decency and order, yes, but it's also not the norm. What is called normal, I say, is abnormal to New Testament Christianity. Well, my time is gone. I pray that these episodes on preaching has been enlightening and has stirred your heart for the glory of Christ. If you're a pastor, I pray that this has illuminated your mind and heart to pursue the power of God in preaching. And if you're not a pastor, I hope this has motivated you to pray for your pastor, that God would give a double portion of this heavenly unction to him. Well, thank you for joining us today. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in. And may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.